Okay. You ready? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Good morning. My name is Harry, and I am a furniture maker in Bristol, England. Good evening. My name is Shane, and I am a furniture conservator restorer living in Sydney, Australia. Shane and I have recently started our careers as craftspeople and conservators, and this is a show about the things we learn and discover as we make our way through our careers. When we first met, we found that we loved talking about what we were doing, and we loved learning a lot from each other's thoughts and ideas. We do. And very often when I I learn something new or discover something really interested in and excited by, my first thoughts is, I need to tell Shane about this. I need to have a chat with Shane. Since we now live on opposite sides of the world, it's really important to try and stay caught up in that sort of thing. And this is a good way for us to take all those thoughts that we've had and just kind of uh, consolidate them and then present them to one another. So part of the idea here behind the podcast is that we take something that we've been thinking about a lot in terms of what we do or the materials that we work with and we present it to the other person who hears it hopefully for the first time and then we have a bit of a discussion about it afterwards. Um, Definitely. So each episode is going to be based around one of those discussions and an idea and we're going to propose it as a pitch from one of us to the other. Yeah. And that's it, really. I, I have the responsibility of doing the first pitch, of being the first presenter, and this is partially because you <laughs> were the one who wanted to do a podcast yeah. um, and repeatedly brought it up, um, yeah. and now we're doing it. But my reservation the whole time was that you know, we could have these conversations like we do mm. that where we're just agreeing with each other and patting each other on the back um, <laughs> and in our own little world. But what good is that to anyone else? To anyone um, else. I wanted to make sure that, that there was some value or that I, I at least I believe there was some value in this to other people, whether or not there is, I don't know, yeah, um, right. before committing to this. So my pitch to you, my presentation to you is... Um, kind of uh, a manifesto or an idea behind what we're doing and why there's value in it or why there could be value in it yeah sound good yeah that sounds great if you if you start oh christ yeah give it a go go for it (laughs) cool so this i mean this one will be i think a little bit more uh philosophical than some of the other ones but we'll see yeah we'll see how it goes basically well, I'll give a little background. So I, my introduction into, into furniture and craft was working in Sydney here with um, an environmental charity. Now I had done like some set building and stuff before, and I'd then done some horrible things that I hated and I was miserable for a while. And then I ended up in, in Sydney and I found this place called The Bower, which um, was an environmental charity, like trying to take things that were still useful but being disposed of and get them back in, into people's hands and keep them usable. Here in Australia, there's this thing here called council cleanup, where in some areas it's like twice a year and in some areas you book it. But if you clean out your house and you've got old electronics or furniture or whatever, and you want to get rid of it and you don't go through the effort of donating it to someone, you put it out on the side of the road, the council collects it, and then it goes, they take it all to landfill. And one of the things about it is it makes it really clear how much perfectly usable stuff we get rid of all the time. And you also wander around and you see these like 
things and you look at them and you go, wow, that's that's usable. That's really nice timber. That's that's great. And I have furnished many an apartment with stuff off the side of the road. And I know a lot of people who have furnished whole houses with the types of stuff they, they find on the side of the road. Yeah. Um, the organization I worked with was dedicated to basically getting that and, and putting it back in people's hands um, rather than seeing it go to waste. So they would take in all the stuff and they would resell it. When I started there at that point in time, they didn't have much of a furniture repair program. They had a few volunteers, um, a couple of really cool ones I learned a lot from, but that was pretty much it. It was having in a small shed in the back that was shared by a local men's shed, um, and it was just kind of volunteers. So I was super keen, and I started working with them to develop what is now a full like furniture repair service and woodworking education program over the course of like five years. And it was in that period of time that I did the bulk of my learning about woodworking. And I think that really informs a lot of how I think about things. Because when I started, I was like, this is a really cool idea. That's a nice piece. And it was more like flipping it like a house, like you get an object and you you just paint it or quickly repair it or you do something so that it would get back into people's hands. So it was no longer going to be thrown away so that maybe someone would buy it. And it was just this, this quick kind of get it back out there, get it back out there. And it started to bug me the more I learned, looking back at some of the things I'd done and knowing that they weren't going to last. Like, oh, I'd put screws in that when I shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, and that really made me want to better know what I was doing and better understand what I was doing so that the things I made last. There was no point in saving something from landfill if six months or a year later it was going to be thrown away anyway because what we did didn't work. Hmm. So I really dug down into wanting to ensure that what I was doing is right. And that led to my whole path in, in furniture conservation. It also led to um, the courses that we ran there the ones that we designed, like the first one that I designed was a furniture repair class. And it was really important to me at that time to get people to think about furniture in a specific way, rather than just teach them some quick tips. I wanted them to also start to think about the chairs in a way that would mean that they were thoughtful in what they were doing mm. in and understanding what they were doing, rather than just following a set of of guidelines. Um, so in that course, that furniture repair course, we took apart a chair and we put it back together. And the main purpose of that was to demystify this repair process and to make it so that this thing that, that was just a chair or an artifact or could be seen as just this unapproachable object could, could be seen as actually it's a collection of pieces. It's a bunch of pieces of wood. They join together. The way that they join together has reason and logic behind it. The coatings and the adhesives have reason to them. And if you can start to think about it in terms of its components, you can approach anything. And if you understand materials, and if you just change the way you think from it being an artifact to it being a made object, hmm. it can potentially lead you to be able to find your own answers in terms of how to repair things. And that, that thoughtfulness about the materials really, really held with me for a long time yeah i there was a really good so i was doing some looking into this and i was looking into the arts and crafts movement in um in the uk that i love with william morris and i was looking at a couple things in prep for this 
and I found on the British Library blog this really great paragraph. I think they were they were doing an exhibition at the time. I'm not really sure, but they were talking about the value of craft in the modern world. And this one paragraph really summed up my my feeling really well, which um, goes: understanding how something is made, why it's made that way, is more vital to modern life than ever. Craft is a language of material provenance and making. It is learning the value of things. Sure, handmade, well-made things aren't cheap, but their value isn't solely monetary. It's political and social. To know how and where something came into being makes us more invested in it. So much so, we become more responsible consumers. And I outright agree. I, it in how I see the world and how I've grown, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, and in terms of sharing with students that we've had come through and showing them, I can see when they start to think about things differently, it's really, really great. So that's kind of where, I guess, the, the title for this, This Crafted World, comes from. Yeah. It comes from that idea, that understanding and exploration of the idea that we live in a place that was made by people. Everything in the room that I'm in was made in some way. And it also comes from a history of having been made, stuff from the 1800s, from the 1700s, from way back when, informs the things we have now. Modern varnishes are a great example of this, and I wish people would talk about it more. Like, modern varnishes actually are, are pretty direct descendant from 1800s varnishes, from 1600 varnishes. They had these basic components, and we've just kind of modified and changed them as new technologies have come in. And knowing that history of those materials helps me now as a, as a furniture finisher restorer be able to use certain materials in different ways. I think in this show, we should be talking about what we learn and how we understand these materials and how they change the way that we see things. I don't think it should be restricted to just materials because I think that you and I both talk a lot about process as well. Yeah. And I think it's, it's similar in terms of the more I understand how I make things, it also impacts the way I see the world and how I want to work and how I want to spend my, my nine to five day and how I'm productive. So I think all aspects of, of the craft, all aspects of crafts in general, from the materials, the history, and as well as the process, just kind of discussing them and the way that we start to understand them more intimately mm. is, is valuable. I, I do think that there is a lot of value potentially in there that, you know, we're not necessarily going to be, you and I aren't necessarily going to be presenting new facts or going to be the experts on no. certain things. No. But if we present kind of as we start to discover and learn and the things that we've been thinking about, other people can kind of come into that conversation and potentially find something of value for themselves. So that's kind of where I'd like to focus. And that's my pitch um, as to what the the purpose of this is. It's not... Uh, uh, it's not so much, you know, how do you make this step-by-step guides. It's definitely a little bit more of a, a conversation about the thoughtfulness behind the decisions that we make. Yeah, definitely. And that, that, that word there that you, you repeated a couple of times, thoughtfulness, is I think the, the, one of the main things we kind of, when, when we first met, which was at Westing College in, over here in England, that thoughtfulness in approach to, to our work was one of the main things I feel we had in common and kind of helped us to click together and kind of sparked those initial conversations of, ah, oh, this is so cool, look at this new thing, look at this material, whatever. I think that, yeah. that approach to the craft was what we found important and what 
obviously, like I said, we had in common. And I think this is what this crafted world is all about. It's that thoughtfulness and that kind of expanded understanding of everything around us. Like you, you mentioned the the restoration course that you you designed for the Bower in Sydney. When I was in Sydney and I I saw that that chair course take place, it it kind of really was a was a marker in the sand for me of this is such a seemingly simple concept. All of a sudden, this chair has gone from an object which I know I know very well and I use and see every single day, but it's gone from that object to its components, which for almost every person to begin with, those are two completely separate things. This is an object and this is a pile of wood. But it's kind of bringing the two together and I now understand how this chair goes together, how it comes back apart and and like you said, how each decision is is justifiable. That that adhesive has been used for a reason and this particular joint has been used for a reason And, and once we understand that, we understand that it can be repaired with often not not a kind of overly refined set of skills or tools or or materials it's often more basic than we think but you you mentioned as well it's kind of that um feeling of it's an unapproachable object i think the words you used and and i think that's spot on it and it's not only the objects it's the whole the whole craft and the whole process kind of it's considered everything around us is is purchased it's kind of we earn money and we trade this money for things and those things are just there and then we get rid of them and it's yeah, demystifying that whole concept of what happened before this thing was a thing, like breaking that up into its components, and and it does feel kind of unapproachable, and and even once you're involved in the craft, like like you and I are, still you have these kind of realizations and discoveries all the time. Like recently doing a project, um, and I was using paper in 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 one of my furniture pieces and paper is not something I've worked a huge amount with before but it was coming back to me that my time I'd spent in the books conservation workshop at West Dean really helped me to understand this material all of a sudden that before I'd felt was like like you said unapproachable it was like this other people do this other books are just a thing they're they're just there yeah totally Um, yeah and I, I think that is a real good definition of of what this crafted world is about and what we want to focus on is is that understanding of of the world around us um and like you said it won't be we're not going to focus on purely um woodworking and and also it's not going to be how to's there's nothing overly groundbreaking here this this stuff that's been used for hundreds and hundreds of years but it's it's that it's that conversation of that approach um but it won't be it won't be confined to just woodworking necessarily. We often have these similar kind of style conversations about a lot of things, a lot of things. Um, yeah. So going forward, it, it there will be a good variety of things as well. I think. Um, well, I and, hope so. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think you've I think you've defined it very well there. Um, I think the yeah. going forward, the the kind of pitch and response format will be a little different from this one because. Um, if I said no, the next podcast wouldn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> so the word kind of pitch is a little like I've already invested in this crafted world. It's too late. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so I think going forward, hopefully, like you said, hopefully it'll be a, like somewhat of a new thing to the other person, and it won't be just us patting each other on each on on the back. Yeah, there'll be a little bit of back more back and forth on it. Hopefully, a bit of disagreement, um, 
so there'll be a, a bit more kind of an in-depth discussion um, but for now i think i think you've defined what we're interested in and what kind of the effect we want to have and hopefully how we can make it valuable to the listener beyond us just yeah just absolutely chatting to each other <laughs> yeah you mentioned a couple <laughs> you mentioned a couple of definitely good points there like how the books conservation department at Westin was, was yeah. huge for me as well like I'd, I'd never put two thoughts into how, how books were made or that books were made and now I am absolutely fascinated <laughs> by paper and that material and you know when we were in Japan mm. I was like let's go to the place where they make paper because I really want to see that now yeah. um, and it changes the way I treat books and, and a lot of other things I, I try and you know stitch up my own notebooks now and I always think cooking is a really great example. My yeah. housemate and I have really gotten into cooking and also trying to understand it and understand, you know, what is going on? Why am I heating it to this point? And there's a lot of crossover, I think, between, I know, woodworking and, and cooking. So I think that there's a lot of crossover between a lot of basically materials and craft and, and doing different things, which I'd love to explore. Yeah, definitely. I think it's... it's interesting to mention cooking as well i think that's a really good example like you said of of that it you, we just do things because we kind of we understand we have to do them to do these other things like we heat it to this degree and and then it it just does it nice bit of emergency services you have in the background there. yeah sure <laughs> um but i think i'm safe and I, and I think that you mentioned like, the quick turnaround um of like you in reference to a house it's the same with furniture and i think that is that's a really good point because that really naturally lends itself to poor technique and doing stuff because we think that's just what to do it's the same with cooking yeah i can follow a recipe and i can make a good thing but i have no idea what i've done i don't know why those ingredients do the things they're doing um yeah it's kind of for me that's i i want to know that i want to know yeah I want to know a little bit more and I, I want to have an informed understanding of what I'm doing. Um, yeah. Maybe that's just me being needy, but that's <laughs> definitely, I, I cook better food when I know what I'm doing and I, I interact with the world around me when I know better yeah. wh- how it works. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. So let's do it. Let's do a podcast. Yeah, we could do. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> um, yeah. So- so I, think, I don't. I don't have much more to say on that. I think it, it's a little bit. You know. You know. We just go around and, and repeat the same thing. Over yeah, and over I don't. Again. Yeah, I don't um, want to just go over it again. But I think. Do you if, have um? Do you have ideas of what topics you'd like to discuss? Couple of ideas. I've been over the last few weeks. I've been kind of just making brief notes in the workshop when I've when these things have have come to me or it's something I'm doing. I think oh, Shane needs to know about this or we can have a chat about this and hopefully a few of those will be good for podcasts at the moment i'm sharpening is definitely something i'd like to talk about Mm. something yeah i'm keen for you to talk about sharpening mm, i've recently written an article about it and all sorts of stuff to be said about that another one would be the idea of process-based learning and teaching as opposed to project-based teaching um teaching is an interesting thing for us to discuss at the moment although you have obviously a lot more experience teaching than I do but we're both in a similar position where we're both designing new courses at the moment and thinking about yeah best ways to go about teaching and how to approach new students and so teaching is definitely something not sure how kind of broad I want that to be yet um but teaching is definitely yeah I think I I think there's gonna be 
a lot about the I think that's going to come up quite a bit. Mm, and I think uh, we should probably try and just not cover it all in one thing. Yeah. Um, what you said there as well, I think I was thinking about that idea of task orientated action as well. Yeah. Um, so whoever gets there first, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, what, I mean, what other ideas have you got for a pitch? I mean, I, I definitely, so I want to go, I mean, if I think, so one of the nice things is you're a maker and I'm a restorer. So we kind of have some yeah. different approaches and understandings to things. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's a few topics in that regard. I, I want to talk about varnishes. Definitely. The history of varnishes and how it impacts current stuff is really interesting. Something I'm really getting into. Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to do quite a few conversations that are finishing related. I'm learning so much about it um, and even potentially depending on how well I can make it interesting to you, some of the chemistry <laughs> behind that too. Um, yeah. Best of luck. That'll be a trick. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the, there's quite a lot of thoughts I've been having lately about, about process and flow and how I can find myself getting into what I'm doing and, and being in the best place to produce the best work and also about how we grow professionally. So there's, there's a few ideas within there I want to talk about. Maybe even something as simple as, you know, how I learned how to love how a saw works. Um, <laughs> it's a huge one. I could talk about saws forever, you as you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. there's there's a few things in there. Definitely. I think that's great. Yeah, yeah. We, and I think we will, as we go, rather than doing, which we, we considered doing before, rather than doing kind of a big introduction to who we are and how we, how we got here and our experiences, Rather than doing that, which gets a little bit dry, I think that'll just kind of come as we as we go through these these topics. We can kind of mention our own experiences um, and kind of get to know us that way, rather than a big block of here's who we are. Yeah, that, instead like, of there's a big block of what is this show, which hopefully people are making their way through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> do you want to do a? What have you been up to? I guess, yeah. I think we, um, so for those of you who might be interested, this is our second time attempting this episode because <laughs> the first one had audio problems. And I feel like we, um, we audio did that a lot on, more efficiently this time. On one side. Audio problems entirely on my end. I have a really <laughs> good recording of Harry's side of things. Um, and a really terrible recording of my side of things. Um, which is disappointing. But yeah, I think we were much more efficient this time um, about going through a little bit of that conversation. That's good. That's positive. Uh, I think so. I think it's good. Maybe I'll edit in some snippets from the other one. And you'll yeah. never know. You'll never know. In that regard, we've we've gone through the opening, we've gone through the pitch. Potentially in the future we'll have questions and we'll have a bit more of a conversation. In this case, you know, we both agree we know what the show is. But yeah, what have you, what have you been up to? You, I... I saw you had Timber for a new project. I do have Timber for a new project. It's very exciting. So I've just delivered the last project, which was a um, a little shoji-style door, which I don't know if you want to get into again <laughs> or not. Kind of. Um, I'll skim it very briefly because you already yeah. know this, and I don't want to. I don't want to go through it again. But the the shoji door was a. A lovely little project i really enjoyed it. it was it's a short thing um it's only comes up to about my nipples when i'm standing up so it's not really a door um it's more of a, a kind of a gate gatey thing um yeah. for a shop in covent garden um kataba knife kataba knives which is a 
shop selling Japanese chef's knives, which I've done done a yep. bit of work for before. Big, big cabinets. So this this door kind of goes on the end of my cabinets. Nice to be kind of returning back to, to a project that I've done a few months ago. And, and it, it's a fairly simple, simple door, but it had some new techniques that I haven't used before. It's kind of big, chunky, double tenons. It was yeah. done with hot hide glue, because I've recently made the switch from cold hot hide glue. It's very exciting, because yeah. I've got my new bikini wax warmer, <laughs> which I use just for hide glue. I promise. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I promise. I am keen to, to hear more about how you go with transitioning to hot hide glue on a, on a couple of things. Mm, yes. Um, I obviously love it and would use it for absolutely everything. Yeah, so I've used, I've used hot hide glue for this particular door. Um, and I've used PVA to glue up the panels, kind of the edge-on-edge joints that I know I don't really ever want to take apart or and anyone should ever need to take apart. So yeah. kind of for me, the reasoning is twofold. Firstly, because I tend to prepare really poorly for glue-ups because I get excited, um, mm-hmm. which is something I'm working on. But if the glue-up were to go horribly wrong, there was some sort of cock-up, in the morning I can take that joint apart if I need to, if it's done with high glue. Um, yeah. Also, as we will no doubt talk about in the future, it does create a repairable joint. Worst case, that can be knocked back apart. Whatever needs to be doing can be repaired and put back together. So yeah. kind of top line, my thinking behind it. I don't want to get too much into it now. But anyway, the rest of this project, I it was a shoji, I say shoji style door because it's not a shoji screen uh, in the traditional sense in a Japanese home that slide. This one is hinged from the side, which did bring a variety of challenges that I didn't initially expect when I was drawing it. I drew it based on the traditional proportions of a Japanese door in the making shoji book by Toshio Odate. And it looked great. And the client said, yep, yeah, looks great. Go ahead. And then I kind of woke yeah. up one morning. And I thought, that ain't going to work because because the sides of a, a shoji door are so thin. They're so skinny that yeah. I do think if you hinge it from one side, it's going to rack. The, the, the joints aren't, aren't big enough. I don't think it can hack that kind of that kind of pressure yeah shoji doors are usually they're sliding doors so they have all that weight exactly. down the bottom they sit flat on the floor so there's there's no yeah. chance they rack in any way and really those corner joints um don't take a huge amount of amount of forces in in use yeah um whereas a hinge door is kind of constantly hanging on that that one that one rail yeah 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 um, it's like um leaning back in a chair you're just creating exactly one so it, it joint it, that's taking all that strain exactly so it, it brought a bit more of a challenge than i thought in i did thicken up the the stre- the the rails but i didn't want them to look too chunky because i still wanted it to look like a like a shoji door which are on a famously very light and light they are light uh, so yeah, beautifully thin yeah exactly so i wanted to keep that kind of aesthetic but obviously it had to be strong enough the way I did that was thicken them slightly and keep the rest of the door as light as I could. So that force is reduced as much as I can, which meant... So the bottom two-thirds of the door is a solid timber panel, and the top mm-hmm. top third is, is a Kumiko grid with a, with a paper back. So, mm-hmm. so that's nice and light. The panel at the bottom had to be very thin. It ended up being 6 mil thick. It's about 650 mil wide, so it's quite a big panel. It was very very thin so yeah. keeping that flat was difficult it was joined up of about um five or six pieces um all kind of yeah. book matched as they go uh, which was a challenge but 
ended up working really, really well. Um, it's a knotty piece of Scotch pine, so the book matching worked really well because you kind of get these mirrored knot patterns. Yeah. The other way I ensured that it's gonna gonna hold was the double tenons I mentioned previously, big deep double tenons, and in the same way shoji doors are done, the the mortises go scarily deep. So, oh yeah, you were talking about this before. They go to like paper yeah, thin. Ridiculous. They're not through tenons. They don't go all the way through. No, but in the shoji books I read, you should see light through the bottom of the mortise, which is terrifying. I didn't quite go that thin. I left about three mil at the bottom. I'd be so nervous, like, if I'd put glue in there and it would be perfect, but then the glue would push through the, the yeah. timber on the other side or something like that. Definitely. It's Ooh. terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And I did double tenons just so I got that little more friction, that little more surface area. They had haunches as well, which helped me kind of keep the door nice and nice and flat. The combination of those few things meant it's it's nice and strong. It feels nice and light. I only put two hinges on it in the end because I really didn't want to hinge up near the Kumiko area because it, it kind of, mm. I don't know, that's such a light, translucent surface. It feels odd to have a metal thing so close. So I ended up only putting two hinges, but I've no doubt it's strong enough. But that was a, yeah, a really, I really enjoyed that. It's a bit of a different project for me. I'm, I'm usually kind of standalone, small pieces of furniture. So to do a slightly yeah. more fitted kind of, there was a bit of on-site work. It was a really interesting one. I really enjoyed it. And it turned out it really, really, really well. Good. Thank you. And I think yeah, I really liked it. we're going to... I'm going to start uh, this Crafty World Instagram for for the podcast. So things that me and Shane yeah. mentioned, mainly in this, well, in, in the whole thing, not just this part. Um, but we can post images to kind of reference because a lot of these things may not make a huge amount of sense if you haven't seen it. So that's something that this will be up and running. So find this Crafty World on Instagram. Hopefully that's the, that's the tag. Hopefully that exists by now, whenever yeah. this goes out. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's done, and I've been getting the timber out for my next project, which is a, a sideboardy linen chesty thing. It's quite big. It's, oh, really? Yeah. So it's it's one point eight meters long by about five hundred mil deep. So he's quite big, but just with four drawers. So the drawers are massive. It's it's quite simple in design. Um, she wanted it fairly minimal. It, it's going next to. A kind of arts and crafty looking pine bookcase. She wanted this in oak, but kind of to match that mm -hmm. similar style. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, it's a framing panel carcass with four drawers, and that is it. But I think the the large drawers are going to be an issue. You've done a drawing up for it. I do have a drawing actually. Or um, have you? Yeah. <laughs> is it have joinery on it? No, 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 no. Don't be silly. <laughs> um, it's a nice, it's a nice drawing. I'm really pleased with it. I, I did a, it's a technical drawing, and I also did an isometric view for the customer. Yeah, it's a fun one. I'll, I'll stick that on the Instagram as well, um, and hopefully yeah, cool. by the time we record the next one, it should be a little further on. I would hope so. I'd hope so. I saw yeah, you've got. I'm not a pile so sure about. Oh god. Yeah, I've got a pile of wood and a drawing. I'm, I'm making slower progress on that though. Yeah, I'm working on. I guess it's my turn. Yeah, I'm working on this, um, yeah, Mark's apothecary box. So for those who are not hairy, <laughs> Mark Elliot is a, a glass blower that I know who's, I, I adore him. He's, he just creates all these wonderful, creative, organic pieces and he teaches classes and he's just, he's got such a wonderful attitude and he also just, 
he creates these very whimsical stories behind a lot of his pieces as well. And a few years ago, I helped him work on a box for this project, which is he's got this whole story of this person who found a way to extract cloud essence. Now, whether or not it was real or not is was I think at, at a certain point under question. But that's kind of the story. He would he would extract cloud essence and then sell it in in bottles and stuff. And he made the extractor, which was made out of glass, and he made all these little bottles with amazing cloud lids. <laughs> um, and a few years ago, he also made this oak box, which was supposed to be um, 1600s, 1500s was the time period. Yeah. And it would have been, you know, made in Spain, made from oak. It had a very simple design, like dovetailed, but then a nailed on front and back, carving in it. And he he had this whole story about it, like how it was made and where it had been and you know, okay, it had been in someone's attic, and then in the 1800s, it was pulled yeah. out and repaired a little bit by someone who didn't know what they were doing, which was really fun because after he, after I helped to make it, I then got to come back and like destroy it or give Such it a, a cool few project. hundred years of age. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, like split the front. Yeah, it gives you all the information to kind of know what it should have gone with. So you know, we split the front of the board because it being nailed in like that, that's what it would have happened. Yeah. It left um, these oxidized black marks where the hinges, the original hinges would have been, but then put on these brass hinges from someone who replaced it in the 1800s. It was a really, really fun project. Such and cool, so such now, cool carrying on from that, yeah, carrying on from that, he's doing more of those, and now he's he's doing another part of the story, which is in the 1800s, a family member carried on with the business. And so now he wants another box that would have been made in the 1800s and he's got it, it would be made in, um, in London. And it's this box that he would carry around all the bottles with the cloud essence in them that he would sell, but also the bottles that he would, you know, the case he would potentially when he's up in the clouds, have it on a rope and drop it down to the ground level. Um, and so I've based this off the design. So I'm designing and making this one. And I based it off of um, an apothecary box uh, from the time. I only found out recently that not everyone knows what an apothecary box is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> apothecary like chemist or um, medicinal yeah. pharmacy sort of thing. So you all your little medicines and snake oil and all that sort of stuff. Tends um, to be really cool looking so little boxes. Yeah, they're cool because they've got a little compartments in them, which always makes everything yeah. so much cooler looking. And they they fold open like kind of my tool cabinets. So you've got some on the doors and some on the back, and then a couple drawers. Yeah. So I got to draw that up, and you know I get to choose the timber. It's going to be a mahogany. So I bought I bought some plantation mahogany the other day, and I did up my drawing, which um, is just based on the bottles that he's already made. So he's got basically everything, and I can just design it based on the information and just go this is what it would be like yeah. and i can see it in my head because he has so much information around it which is really cool that's so um, cool it's like the best client for that sort of oh, thing oh yeah and so i cool. also yeah so there's a couple of things about it though that i'm nervous about all of these designs from the time yeah. have these all the panels come together with uh, rounded yeah. ends um yeah. say my toolbox has a dovetailed carcass so you have yeah. these hard corners and this one the two pieces come up and then they do a half round sort of at the end. Yeah. So like, and, and they're mitered. 
The only way I can see that working, apart from maybe being nailed, which doesn't feel right to me structurally, no. would be for those to be like double blind or full blind <laughs> dovetails. That's fun. Miter dovetail. So completely hidden inside of those joints, which I have never done. Yeah. Um, and I'm definitely going to have to do for this because it just seems right. It seems the only way that yeah. that would be made. And it, it almost feels like these little rounds would emphasize that. Like, it's decorative, but yeah. but if you know, you know that this yeah, is the only way definitely. it can be made. So to what... Which is kind of cool. To, to what extent do you hold true to what a craftsman would be thinking at the time? So, like you said, nailing it together doesn't feel right. Do you think yeah. a blind dovetail would but, have been used at the time? Or do you feel that's the right thing to do? What, I'm, how I'm do you find a between, balance? I mean, I... Yeah. I don't know enough about what they would be thinking at the time. No. Honestly, there's still so much I need to know. Yeah. But I am thinking structurally about pieces I've seen similarly. Yeah. I mean, the front panel being nailed on isn't outside of things I've seen. And the sides, everything from that time I've seen is either dovetailed and veneered. Yeah. But doesn't it, work it, with a rounded I corner. I don't know. It's It's between... It's between this idea of what I think would have been done and what I think is right. Yeah. Um, would you would you compromise on something that you know might move or might crack or do something in 10, 20 years' time? Yeah. Or I, I guess... mean, I am struggling with that because the front piece, Yeah. I've tried really hard because it's this huge, it's this full panel for the fronts of the doors. Yeah. And I, I've worked hard to get as close to a big... Um, rift sawn or well i wanted quarter sawn yeah but looking at some of these they're you know flat sawn that's the middle of the board it's a crotch piece yeah. it's beautiful but knowing that it gets nailed on i and just they're, and they're definitely solid yeah and they're solid boards so the the warp chance is huge yeah um i just can't bring myself to do that i'm trying to get as close to to rift sawn or quarter sawn as i can yeah I just don't want this thing to, to, to bow or curl or, or warp later no, on. It's a really fun um, challenge. So, yeah, I am I am biased. I am massively biased. Yeah. But yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, it's it's a good question. It's a good question. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to catch you out. <laughs> no, it's, but it, I have struggled. It's something I have struggled with because it's the same, like, I just couldn't nail those boards together. It's part no. of it. I, no. I couldn't be happy with myself no. and the product that I was giving him if they were nailed together. Yeah. And I am trying to do as much by hand as possible. Um, apart from, like, ripping down the planks, I'm going to use a big bandsaw, and I'm awesome. definitely going to use a thicknesser for some of it. Yeah. Um, and does he want any uh, of that process documented? or like, He the hasn't making necessarily process? asked for it. No. I guess um, in, he is in interested of, in it. Yeah, but. yeah, I'm sure. I guess in terms of the story, the, the the production of that box isn't as important as having the box. Yeah. And is that story is it written or in and kind of how does he plan to present it as an art piece or what? What's kind of Mark's plan with it? Oh yeah, he's got he's got everything. So he's got. I'm pretty sure he has the whole thing written out. Um, so cool. Like the hundreds hundreds of years of history of this he was telling me about it it was so detailed and he's also going he's spoken to someone who does sense and he's having another no person who does a lot of like um uh perfume sort of thing try to make a scent that is 
cloud essence um, <laughs> that's, that's so collected cool. so that potentially at the exhibition depending on covid restrictions yeah, um, yeah. people could like open the bottles and smell awesome. you know what what it was captured at the time which is i just love the detail and it's it's so much work but it's also still so whimsical and still f- so fun and yeah. like it's yeah. a really fun thing to be a part of um definitely such a cool project i love it i love it plus it's a making project for me which i don't get to do a lot of no no that's that's a good point do you think it'll ever be finished not not your piece the whole part the whole <laughs> yeah the yeah, whole it might be my piece is better <laughs> be finished by February, i think is when it's going to be done um but i mean it does he plan to have an end to it or is it an ongoing thing that he is going to keep keep on keep on writing i'm honestly not sure I think one of the wonderful things about Mark is he really does believe in play and kind of just doing stuff that feels fun and right. And I think initially it wasn't this big of a project, but he got really into it and he saw all these different avenues and he's explored them. I don't think he's really set an end point or a vision for it. He's just kept playing with it. And as long as people, you know, seem to respond to it, um, he will until he feels like he doesn't have much more to say brilliant that is really cool. i yeah i really love it um i think i think we're almost there if if unless there's anything else you want to bring up that you've been you've been up to i am going to want to talk to you at some point about prepping that timber because um, <laughs> i'm kind of going through this process this way for the first time like really hand yeah. flattening every board cool. um, ripping this down so it's gonna be something to talk about in the future yeah yeah definitely um, other than that, no. I'm looking forward to you are presenting something to me next time. I am. I will I definitely have a pitch prepared. <laughs> I'm keen to find out what it is. So am I. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, awesome. Yeah, well, I think we'll call it there. Thank you for listening, if anybody Sweet. is still Thank at you. this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice one. Bye.